welcome to another episode of Concise Kansaratwa, your weekly uh, regular source of satire on everything from Twitter to Parler. Last week, I joined yet another social media platform, Parler, after having opened accounts in Gab, Guttergu, Inditude, Mastodon, Koo, Elements, Squeak, Opined, and I am sure there are some that I have forgotten. All these platforms have tried to provide an alternative to Twitter's hegemony and high-handedness, but without much success, or I must say without any success at all. I will confine myself to Twitter because this is the platform that I am quite active on. My presence on the larger social media platforms of Facebook and Instagram is almost negligible, given the number of my relatives there. Also, with my experience in a corporate environment, I am not much into people posting fake thoughts and images. Guttergu was one of the earlier ventures, made in India, and it promised some great features such as a glass house, which was a conversation between select members that others can watch and comment without intervening. It was like a social media equivalent of a live interview. Unfortunately, Guttergu vanished. I am not sure what happened, but I believe that the lack of an app could have been one of the reasons. Gab was another venture started around the time Twitter just started showing signs of degeneracy. But I found out early that it was just an echo chamber. It was funny, however, to see the right wing of India and the right wing of the US recognize that they have hardly anything in common. If at all the left wing in India has been successful, it has been in lumping everyone who doesn't toe their line as right wing and making them believe that they are right wing. Anyway, that is a different story and a different podcast. Imagine a very typical scenario. People join a platform such as Gab or Parler because they feel strongly about the pro-left bias on Twitter, which make their conversation on these platforms pretty much anti-left. But the left are not on Gab or Parler, at least not yet. They don't need to because they feel at home on Twitter which looks the other way when they do anything from spreading lies to wishing murder. Anyway, in the absence of such a common enemy, what do you think would happen? 1. Echo chamber and 2. Infighting. If we do not have anyone to pick on, we will pick on one of our own. We know that quite well from Twitter, don't we? And that is despite having a common enemy here. When I tried out Inditude around that time, I found it quite impressive. The website was slick with an interface that was very similar to the column interface of TweetDeck, if you have used that. But again, there was hardly a good app. Inditude itself was an instance of a larger social networking service called Mastodon. The idea of instances was, for me, novel and impressive. Imagine each instance, like Inditude, as a community of users who could interact with each other, just as in Twitter. However, an Inditude user could also look at what others are posting in other instances, even if they were not a member of that instance. So one could create an instance, provided one has the time and the money, for some specific purpose, say Indian politics or gems of South Asian journalism, and attract like-minded users. But also one could peep into what is happening in other instances. Do you remember Yahoo chat rooms before the days of Facebook and Twitter? In a way, these instances are very similar to those chat rooms. It is a part of what is called a Fediverse, a portmanteau of Federated Universe, 
which provides a rather decentralized approach to social media, unlike the Twitters and the Facebooks of the social media world. In the real world, it would be like you being a part of RSS, but you could also talk to people from Art of Living or the VHP, and sometimes you could even go to the Jaipur Lit Fest and question the Apiti Blighty who is talking about the glory days of the Morgul Lords. Mastodon, on which Inditut was hosted, got infested with trolls faster than you can say Wikipedia. And I believe that they kicked out Inditut for attracting people they did not like. Later, Inditut was launched on a different server, Pleroma, but was closed down again, ostensibly due to less patronage. Which is sad because I really like the Fediverse idea of instances. Inditute, however, lacked a proper app as well, which was one of the reasons for the low uptake. Around July, I took a Twitter break and tried out a few other social media platforms, all of which were plagued with issues of confusing user experience and clunky performance. Opined had an annoyingly slow website, and the app had login issues if you had registered with your Google or Facebook account. Ku which is a made-in-India app which, at that time, supported only Indian languages, was quite fast but somehow had a very different category of users, most of who were life coaches and motivational speakers. It was like someone fused LinkedIn with Twitter in Hindi and Telugu and Kannada. Elements was launched a little later, with much fanfare, I must say, but it also suffered from a confusing user experience. Squeaks came in later, after much waiting, and I found it not too different from others. I know these are early days for all of the apps, and I am sure that they would become much better over time. I am also surprised, however, how much the lack of performance and user experience is a consistent issue with our social media platforms. The inexperience in building large social media platforms clearly shows. While app availability user experience and performance could be the reasons for new and alternative social media platforms to falter or sometimes flounder, we also have to consider the fact that there is really no compelling reason for anyone to move away from Twitter. Yes, we can complain all about the toxicity of trolls or the anonymity of trolls, whichever side of the debate we are in, as if we would have debated gently if the other side had a real name and a DP of a real person. Yes, we can all complain about the inherent bias which is so blatant that it manifests itself from shadow banning and suspending accounts that Twitter does not like, to violating the territorial integrity of nations such as what Twitter did with Ladakh and got away with a paltry apology because of a toothless parliamentary panel. Yes, we can all complain about the increasing political interference that Twitter and other internet giants such as Facebook and Google indulge in by actively questioning or even blocking one side of the political divide and actively condoning or even supporting the other. Yes, we can complain about the annoying user experience of Twitter with its algorithms interfering in everything from the way the timeline appears to what gets trended, what gets promoted and what gets notified. In reality though, None of this is overwhelming in itself to consider moving away from Twitter. Where else could you interact with your favorite celebrity, praise your favorite sportsperson, troll your favorite bureaucrat, question your favorite politician, argue with your favorite journalist, criticize your favorite economist, sly against your favorite right-winger, 
and even take pot shots with screenshots of your favorite historian. The greatest advantage that Twitter provided was to bring everyone together on the same platform. Leaders, politicians, dictators, extremists, criminals, journalists, founders, industrialists, activists, artists, authors, historians, institutions, organizations, heritage sites, and even the Silk Boat Junction of Bengaluru. All interacting with the Hoi Palloi, the Aam Janta, people like you and me. If you remember, there was this idea of six degrees of separation, that everyone was connected with everyone else through six or fewer connections. Twitter reduced the six degrees of separation to zero. The barrier of flattening the social media was broken by Twitter long back. And there is no point in doing this again, which is why I have never been very optimistic about an alternative to Twitter. The future of social media is likely to be more local, more personalized and more sensory. Videos, podcasts, augmented and virtual reality, and heck, even blogs are making a comeback. In a way, this was the undoing of Twitter too because the high and mighty realized that Twitter had become powerful enough to impact the real world in ways that they did not quite like. Twitter became a platform to disseminate information massively, which, with the help of Facebook and WhatsApp, reached out to millions and started impacting public opinion. Parties were questioned, businesses were boycotted, decisions were criticized, heroes were felled. I am sure that at some point, the high and mighty must have untwisted Twitter into obeying their diktats because, at the end of the day, they could still control the stakes. As I said in my previous episode, real power still lies in the real world with people who know how to wield it. From a platform to share ideas, Twitter became a platform to shape public opinion. And like a power-drunk bureaucrat, Twitter assumed the mantle of being the messiah of morality. We do not need to see any further than the ridiculous levels of interference during the recent US elections. And it may come to a polling booth near you if it is not checked further. Despite all this, Twitter does provide an audience if you want to show your creativity, share your talent, discuss your ideas, vent your frustration, or just troll your opponents. People still manage to find what they like to do on Twitter, noise notwithstanding. Why should anyone leave behind their 10,000 followers, or 100,000, or a million, all built over years of effort and thousands of tweets, and switch to another platform where the audience does not even exist? The experience is like leaving the bustling city life where you are used to endless conversations to some idyllic village where you hardly meet anyone for days on end. I know this quite well because 1. I managed to publish a book because of Twitter. It is called Twisted Threads for that reason only. And 2. I need a way to promote whatever next I am doing. And what better way today than Twitter? Would Harsh Madhusudan and Rajiv Mantri have their book promoted by no less than the Prime Minister Narendra Modi had they been on Gab or Parler or Coup instead of Twitter? The tweet by the Prime Minister created quite a flutter. Some were happy, not pleased Harsh and Rajiv. I observed that they dropped the price of the book from $7.95 to $5.95 on Amazon. Some were outraged, questioning how a Prime Minister can endorse a book. Some were incensed and started digging out old tweets of Harsh, Rajiv, their friends, their relatives and their pets 
to prove that the Prime Minister endorsed the wrong dynamic duo. Some were surprised because they didn't realize that the Prime Minister could endorse books too and if only he had endorsed their book instead of this one. I mean, I did not criticize the Prime Minister that much in Twisted Threats, at least not as much as I ridiculed to pick names at random, Rahul Gandhi or Prakash Javdekar or Savarika Ghosh. Should a Prime Minister endorse a book? I don't think that is even the right question. I don't see a problem here. If the Prime Minister likes reading books and if he found some book interesting and insightful, why not share it with others? Yet, in doing so and asking so, we are forgetting that he is the Prime Minister and what he endorses has a far-reaching impact. We all like to believe that Narendra Modi likes to play some multidimensional chess. Some even know the exact number of dimensions in which he plays this chess and he never does anything without a reason. I would rather phrase the question in a different way. As a Prime Minister, what should he endorse? What books should he endorse? Does a new idea of India qualify as a book that Narendra Modi, in his position as the Prime Minister of India, endorse? Only Narendra Modi knows the answer to that, but nothing prevents us from letting loose our thoughts. We have certain expectations from Narendra Modi, which we wouldn't have had with, say, Manmohan Singh. And just to keep a certain section of people happy who think that Rahul Gandhi will be the next Prime Minister, which we would never have with Rahul Gandhi. Despite Narendra Modi's silence over what we consider as civilizational issues, and despite his ministers running amok over anything Hindu like crazed buffaloes, we harbor a hope that Narendra Modi is the man for the times, that he knows what he is doing, that he is a staunch Hindu and a nationalist himself, and that he has a knack of selecting the right people like Prakash Javdekar, R.S. Prasad, Harshwardhan and Nirmala Sitaraman, to name but a few. Possibly, Narendra Modi was impressed by the title of the book because he has been quite vocal in the past against the idea of India. Before the 2014 elections, he gave a speech where he said, My idea of India, Satyameva Jayate. My idea of India, Vasudhaiva Kutumbakam. My idea of India, Ahimsa Paramo Dharma. My idea of India, Ano Bhadra Pratavo Yantu Vishwata. The speech still gives me goosebumps. Possibly, Narendra Modi was impressed by the contents of the book, which I cannot comment on because I have not read it yet. I know the stance that Harsh takes and to a lesser extent Rajiv takes on certain issues and I don't necessarily agree with them. I am assuming, based on the title of the book, that it outlines the path that India should take given her civilizational continuity and rich living traditions and what went wrong with the idea of India all these years. If yes, it would be interesting to read how the authors expect the civilizational ethos to shape the future of our nation. Possibly, Narendra Modi was getting bored of Twitter and decided to give us all something to argue about, just like he does when he follows a bunch of people out of the blue. In any case, the lives of Harsh and Rajiv will never be the same after this endorsement. I don't grudge them their moment of a lifetime. And I just hope that they do not squander the opportunity by pandering to those who still cling on to the idea of India and who still call the shots or use their newfound fame to become expert intellectuals and do moral grandstanding on Hindu traditions in the name of reforms 
especially outside of India, like nobody's business. We have had more than enough of this to last the lifetime of all the Hindus on the planet and outside. So that's it folks. An alternative to Twitter still remains elusive, but there is always a hope. I would like to see the man who held a placard when he visited India banish into oblivion, forgotten like a shadow ban tweet. As for a new idea of India, I would lay my hands on it someday, but right now I have picked up a Gujarati novel, Chanakya by Dhumketu. May Vak Devi bless you all.